Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth, joined together with Mike Grimes. It's episode 40. Yes, it is. Isn't it, Mike? It's episode 40. Oh, yeah, we are rolling baby. Along. We are having an anniversary That's on The right. Pactum. Have you ever had a 40th anniversary? Ooh, I, my wife and I just celebrated 30, but not 40. Let's and see. I just looked close. it up. Do you know what the 40-year anniversary is, Mike? Uh, rocks. Oh, it, it is a kind of rock. <laughs> oh. uh-huh. And I'm sure someone in the Pactum verse, one of you out there listening, probably knows that the 40 anniversary is the Ruby Ooh, anniversary. Rubies. Oh, according to one source in history, the Ruby has been used to enhance romance. Oh, boy. Oh, we should, we should save this for our Valentine's we episode. We should have. Oh. Uh-huh. Romance, devotion, and passion. Huh. Uh, this is a family show, so yeah. I'm not going to read any more yeah. from the intro web. Moving on. But moving on, we are thankful to be with you all for 40 episodes. Hopefully they're getting uh, better as we go and not worser right. as we go. Uh, <laughs> but we do like this Ruby special, Ruby edition. The special Ruby edition of the Pact. Uh-huh. Mike, what are you drinking over there? I am drinking actually water today. I've had too much coffee to start the day, and I've already got the shakes, so I need to slow it down a little bit. But I'm drinking out of a mug that we got as a gift from one of our listeners. Oh, Lisa, who's yes, a church member as well. This is from Lisa, and she got us each a mug that says, I can do all things through a verse out of context. Oh, someone has a little that bit of is, a sarcastic, yes. snarky kind of humor. We're not into that on the Pactum. Yeah, we would We never. take ourselves very seriously. <laughs> How dare Lisa do such a you thing? You know what's funny, Lisa? When I pulled it out of the box, I first thought, oh, no. It says, like, oh, no. And then I read it, and I just <laughs> died laughing. So well oh. played, Lisa. Well played. We're thankful for you, and thanks for these gifts. Absolutely. They make us smile. I've showed all kinds of people the mug, and and it's going to find a great spot in my office. She yeah. gave us some coffee as well, Yep. and it is Agro Cafe. Never, ha- I have not tried it yet, yeah. but it, it's roasted in Israel. Hey. Oh, it makes me want to sing some kind of crazy Israel song. Yeah. That I couldn't do, but anyway, I had to practically bribe my way out of passing Hebrew or into passing Hebrew, I guess. But looking forward to trying this, and I'm sure it's great because it's from the Holy Land. Yeah, and she's not a coffee drinker, but she's trying to support our habits. Oh, nice, nice. We appreciate that. It's it's nice to be nice, and it's lovely to love. (laughs) So on Ruby... It's Ruby Tuesday. It's Ruby Tuesday. Oh, now we know what the song should be in the background. I can't believe it. Wait, embarrassing. Is that a song? And for all we know, it's probably about something that we shouldn't be talking about. I don't know. I thought of Ruby Tuesday, the restaurant. Goodbye, Ruby Tuesday. It's a Rolling Stones song. Okay, well, uh-huh. I, Stephen Curtis Chapman hasn't covered it, so I don't know it. And again, but, if it's you know. not a family kind of song, I'm not sure. I didn't pay attention to what it means. <laughs> uh, I do like the tune, though, Okay, uh, for what it's worth. We have a special episode today. We do, yeah. Not because we have a special guest, but we, well, we kind of do. Sort of. Kind of not. And yeah. It's kind of not a podcast, but... It is a podcast is. because people are listening to it right now, and it, it is a podcast. Yes, they are. I'm super confused, Mike. Help me out. Yes. Well, in this special 40th Ruby edition on Ruby Tuesday. That here comes on the out Pactum, on Wednesday, comes and out on someone Wednesday. will listen to on Saturday. Right. Anyway, in this 40th 
episode, we have a behind-the-scenes look, maybe we could call it, uh, from a recent conference happenings here at Omaha Bible Church, in which we had John Fesco and Matthew Barrett here at the church for a conference, Our Triune God. And one of the things we like to do is we have a Q&A session with them on Sunday morning during our Sunday school hour. Ah, uh, so not on the podcast, but it's a public kind of thing. Right. And live so this in is a recording from that. And we'll be playing that. You are up there with them, kind of moderating the discussion. Kind of. Kind I thought of. I did an outstanding well, job of moderating. Well, hopefully you did better than the episode with Matthew Barrett where you said, okay. 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 Like 400 million times. <laughs> I want to know who does our editing. <laughs> I'll because talk to him. when I listened to that program, uh, I thought, oh my. I tried, but... Sometimes there needed to be something. I, anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, you need to maybe, I don't know. I'll do better next put the, time. Put the editor okay. on probation. I'll do that. Fair enough. I'll fair have enough. my dog Curtis do this week's episode. So. I, do like, I do like these Q&A sessions that we do because the pastor in me loves to learn from the scholars. Yeah. And I know the congregation and Pactum listeners do as well. But sometimes the pastor in me wants it to even be simpler. Right. And so I... I like to play mediator moderator yep. and have a little bit of fun with it. So it really is a good discussion, good Q and a people were super encouraged who are there in person. Yep. And surely the Pactum verse is going to be encouraged today on the episode. So with that said, enjoy today's unique experience on the <laughs> Pactum Q and a theological style. On my left, on your right is Matthew Barrett. He is a professor at Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City. He's been speaking this past weekend regarding the Trinity. We're thankful that he's here. His wife and children are here as well at the service or Sunday school hour. And on my right, on your left, is John Fesco. Uh, John preached in the first service. He'll be preaching in the next service. Uh, He is a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, both of these gentlemen have written important books from where I sit, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, thankful. Th- I'm not thankful to learn, though, that I-, I so appreciate Matthew's writing ministry and John's writing ministry, and neither of them drink coffee. <laughs> uh, so we are praying for their sanctification. So something good might happen. But anyway, you, you know, no one's you just You just lowered our credibility with it's being true, right? probably 75% of the people here. I know. It's not going to go well. So what? I forgot what you do drink, Matthew. I, I drink water. Okay. Oh, he's one of those and, types. Uh, orange juice. Okay. That's all right. I, I don't even want to tell uh, what John drinks. We, we recorded a couple Pactum episodes that are going to be coming out with these men. And John... John is like Boulder dude, man, and uh, because John like drinks kombucha, man. So, but his wife did promise me that he does wear deodorant, and so we're thankful that he's not all in on kombucha, man. <laughs> oh, all right. So I do have these questions, and we're going to get things started, but we have a little bit of a twist. Uh, to start with, because Matthew's been speaking about matters related to the Trinity, and John has been speaking regarding matters related to the covenant of redemption. And so let's start with you, John, and give us a simple, clear, biblical definition of the Trinity. Hmm. And you can anticipate what your question is going to be, Matthew. So as you're reveling in this, just know you're going to talk about covenant of redemption. I'm just so glad you asked John. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> clear and simple. Here we go. Uh, simple uh, is the key word. Yeah, we have yeah. all ages in here. Yeah. So. The, uh, the, the de- we could define the Trinity as the biblical teaching that we worship one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that this one God in three persons, they are all equal in terms of their being, in terms of their power, and in terms of their glory. So one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's, that's the basic way I would define well it. Well done. Very well done. Uh-huh. We should close in prayer. Yes. <laughs> and on a high note. This, this is good. This is good. So awesome. All right. Good. Uh, Matthew, covenant of redemption in front of the guy who wrote the book <laughs> on it. So Trinity and covenant of redemption. And some of these folks have not been with us throughout the weekend. So. Covenant of redemption means that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, <clears throat> well, your salvation, it was not an accident. <laughs> it was not a plan B. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before the foundation of the world, Um, ensured your salvation and they did it among themselves the father appointing the son, the son freely saying I will be the mediator to redeem God's elect and of course the Holy Spirit is not left out either the Holy Spirit being the one who will be given and sent all three of these persons of the Trinity then covenant in order to ensure your redemption is accomplished and applied. Amen. We for sure can close in prayer now. You know, one of the great things is the fact that I wanted to do that to be a little bit ornery, uh, as my grandmother used to say. But I knew that they would be able to give you good biblical answers, um, and they would be able to do so even though it's not in their, their lane, so to speak, for the conference. Uh, so I'm grateful for that. These are basic things. They're important things. Who God is and how he saves, uh, and there's no tension, no contradiction. So I'm grateful for that, and I hope you are encouraged by such things as well. Um, These men come from different theological traditions, even, if you will. Uh, One of them happens to be a Baptist, and the other happens to be a Presbyterian. Um, I don't think you can tell based upon the way they've dressed, or what they drink, for that matter. But these are such important matters that they are trans-denominational, if you will. Uh, Sadly, lots of people who say they're Christians don't believe in such things. But these are important matters, how our triune God saves, and the implications are massive for us. Either one of you can answer this one, but um, I want you to talk to us about covenant of redemption, triune God, and I just want to have a go-to verse for everybody, a a go-to chapter. So how can we see covenant of redemption, maybe not fully in one chapter, but how can we at least see its fingerprints or its evidences in Ephesians chapter 1. So I'm thinking Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and Mm -hmm. redemption. Mm -hmm. 
We like Bible verses and chapters in Omaha Bible Church, so we want to have something to hang our hat on. I, I think you could say that when you look at Ephesians chapter 1, for example, uh, Paul there in verses 4 and 5 at the beginning of the chapter say that in love, okay, so that's the first part. And so now I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but you have the triune God who in love, and then he says, it says, chose us in him, chose us in Christ. And it's like I was saying yesterday this, that in Christ, we take that that title for granted so often because we're so familiar with hearing it. And I often think that what you need to do when you see uh, Christ in the scriptures uh, in terms of that term, don't say Christ, but say Jesus the anointed. Because then it begins to remind you of all of the stuff that was happening in the Old Testament and prophesied about the Messiah, the anointed, and then it hopefully pushes you one further, one step further to say, anointed with what? Or anointed, we could say, with whom? The Holy Spirit. And so in love, before the foundation of the world, in love, he chose us in him, in Christ. He predestined us. And so right there, you're bringing in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the foundation of the world. And this is all, as Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 1, it's in accordance with his, his will, his purpose. And then later on, in, towards the end of, of chapter 1, in the middle of chapter 1, and Matthew was pointing this out yesterday, that it talks about the anointing or the sealing with the Holy Spirit. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But all of this begins before the foundation of the world. And even the idea of Christ as our mediator and as our Savior is there among the triune God as the idea, as the plan before the foundation of the world. So as Matthew just said moments ago, it's not plan B, it's plan A. Super. You want to chime in at all? Or? Oh, that's great. Okay. <laughs> I agree. Okay, how about covenant of redemption, triune God before the foundation of the world? What kind of influence should our knowledge of that reality have on our interpreting the Bible? Interpretation of the Bible even Genesis throughout Revelation, knowing that there is a triune God, eternal decree. I think as a Christian, it is a source of unbelievable comfort. Uh, You think about what uh, Dr. Fesco here just said. Before the foundation of the world... And this is, this is, your salvation is not something um, that God just hoped or, or wished somehow in some way he could, he could maybe bring about, maybe accomplish. Um, you mentioned the word decree. I love that word because it, co- it communicates how solid this is. This is a bedrock. And I think that as, as Christians, sometimes, especially in the winds that push us uh, in one direction or another from day to day, uh, well, where, where I, I mentioned this, I think it was yesterday, where are you going to turn? Uh, I would encourage you to, to look outside of yourself. Uh, we tend to just look inward and just 
kind of gaze at ourselves, gaze at God and, and think about the very fact that the Son, He is your mediator. And this, this, yes, this is something that occurred in the incarnation, of course, but even before the foundation of the world, He was appointed in this way. So all that to say, when you're reading your Bible, from Genesis all the way to the New Testament, these aren't books that are just thrown together. This isn't a story that is, is unpredictable in a sense. God himself, the Trinity, not only has given us this word, but he was the one who is actually working out this plan, which he planned from before the foundation of the world. I think that changes our understanding of the Christian life. It gives us an assurance. It gives us a confidence, especially in the midst of so much of the uncertainty that we live in. And I think it ultimately changes the way you read your Bible. You go to the scriptures out of faith, knowing that this is who God is. You can trust him. Now let's see how he's going to accomplish this great plan. Excellent. John, what's your favorite, when it comes to understanding and explaining the Trinity, what's your favorite analogy? I want to hear this one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're free to uh, give pushback to my question. <laughs> um, in science which is not what you thought I was going to say. Because I want you to say there isn't a good one, and now I'm getting nervous. I'm working on it. (laughs) Physicists uh, at the turn of the 20th century had a debate. They had a debate about the nature of light. And I get all of my science from Star Wars, so what I'm about to give you is stretching it as far as it goes. Okay, we're going to move on to the next question. Bear with me here. Once he says father, son, and force... No, no, no. I promise. We're going to play the Death Star music for for, for John. Scientists debated, is light a wave or is it a particle? And according to science, it can't be both. And yet it exhibits the characteristics of both to the point where they say, well, maybe it's a wavicle. And so basically that's the scientist's way of saying we don't understand it, but this is what it is, and these are its characteristics. But just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that we can't affirm it. And so when it comes to the Trinity, there is no analogy. It's like the Thank you. It's like it's like the light particle or the wave, the wave it doesn't fit in, in, into any category, and so you can't say, well, it's like this or it's like that. But we do know that the Bible teaches it, one God and three persons. And so even if we can't completely explain it, we can at least define it and say this is what it is, even if there's no analogy for it. And so just because there's no analogy doesn't mean that we can't affirm it and believe it. Super. Matthew, why wouldn't we use water? Because under his breath, he just said, it's water. And he didn't really mean it. So why wouldn't that be? Why isn't it a cherry pie? As much as I know you like pie. Um, Three pieces of the pie, one pie. Why don't these things work? 
thought you were going to say egg. Why and, is and it? Now, egg? Okay, whichever one of these bad illustrations you would like to use or, or and offend all of the Sunday school teachers who learn bad theology at a different church, whichever one you'd like, go for it. You know, I almost every semester I have a student come and, come to me and say, "I've got a new one." So, okay, let's hear it. <laughs> um, at some point, like. I, Dr. Fesco was just saying a minute ago, um, there, there, is, there is no illustration or analogy. And I know that can feel frustrating. And, and sometimes I've even seen people come to the Trinity and then maybe it's eternal generation or maybe it's the Trinity's unity or what we talked about yesterday, simplicity. Whatever it is, they, they get frustrated. I don't understand this. And so, and then, and then coupled with that as well, there's, there's no analogy there's no illustration and they think well i just i'm not going to believe that then or or that doesn't make sense to me and i i think we need to be reminded first of all and augustine augustine gives us a little rebuke at this point augustine kind of slaps us around a little bit and says you fool don't you realize this is god <laughs> i'm paraphrasing but that's essentially <laughs> what he says and I need to hear that because this is the infinite, eternal, incomprehensible God. If you could, if you could rationalize it in the way that meets your satisfaction, it would not be God. And, and I think we need to hear that because sometimes we create a God in our own mind and think, we, we have this entirely figured out. And what have we done? We've, we've either humanized God or we've just... We've, we've, the mystery of it has just been emptied altogether. Now, in terms of analogies, whether it's an egg or water or clover, you know, you pick, <laughs> you pick which one. Uh, if you think through them, almost without fail, they all lead to some type of heresy. So water, for example, and its different forms. I think at that point, we're getting close to Sibelianism, in which there are no longer three persons anymore. Um, an egg in which, okay, now you do have three distinct parts, but they're parts. <laughs> uh, this is not one the way that God is one. And the shell is not the yolk, right? <laughs> that's right. And, and the so, yolk is not the white. That's, that's exactly right. So at some point, they, they crack Sorry. Um, now, I, I let it pass when he was talking about clover, and he said, pick which one you'd like. A bunch it, of dads sitting on the stage, right? What, what do you do? Um, at some point, they all fall apart, and as clever as we think we are, actually, we're, we start to teach unwittingly some type of heresy. So all that to say, I think that so many of those that came before us were right when they said, when we approach this mystery, the Trinity, this is a spiritual exercise. And I think this is one of the things that have gone wrong with, especially in evangelical circles. We don't like the Trinity or we don't understand it or we really don't think it's important or relevant because we assume it's just a problem. And we, we treat it that way as if, well, I can't fix this weird problem and therefore 
okay, I know I'm supposed to check that box to be a Christian, but let's move on. Our approach is all wrong. We come to this God in faith, and out of faith we pursue understanding. If you reverse that, if you reverse that, it's not just the Trinity. Other aspects of the Christian faith are going to be incredibly dissatisfying to you at some point. And you may just leave it and give it up altogether. Faith, seeking understanding, understanding this is a mystery. And because it's a mystery, it leads us to worship. Though, of course, like uh, Dr. Fesco was saying, we then pursue that understanding in the way that God has revealed himself through the scriptures as this one God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. So if God has always been triune, right? Mm-hmm. So what about Jesus in the Old Testament? How do, we, how do we figure out incarnation, eternal son? Sometimes it seems like, or when we're new Christians reading the Bible, we have the Trinity in the New Testament at Jesus' baptism. What about in the Old Testament? Where's Jesus in the Old Testament? If he's the eternal son, for example. I'd like to hear Matthew's answer on this. <laughs> you serious? Not, not because he's stumped, because okay. I know he actually has an answer. Because if I have see, an answer, I know he has one. I know Matthew's done some writing on this. I mean, canon and Christology, so you've done some, some reflecting upon this. So I, I, I want to learn from you, so you go. I have some ideas, but... I'll get you later for this. Um, <laughs> the next question is going to be an easy one. I promise. I'll take it. B.B. <laughs> Warfield, an old theologian, once gave an illustration. And this is a point where I think an illustration, it's not for the Trinity, but for how the Trinity is revealed to us. Okay, so clarification there. Um, he compared the way that God reveals himself to us a bit like a dark room. So imagine, let's just say after church, you go visit uh, a beautiful mansion here in Omaha. You've never been in it before. You walk in, but the lights are all off. Okay. And so you walk into the room and you can't see anything. Um, But let's say maybe your spouse stumbles around and and finds one of those, we have those now, right? Those dimmer switches that just kind of fade on and just slowly slowly turns it on. Um, <clears throat> what, what begins to happen? Well, <clears throat> maybe at first, uh, maybe the, let's say they're not sure it's a dimming switch or they're not sure what they're doing. It just kind of barely comes on. You start to see objects in the room. Uh, it was like uh, yesterday when Dr. Fesco was talking about when he takes off his glasses and he just sees kind of fuzzy faces. <laughs> um, you see objects but you're not quite sure and then and then the light comes on a little bit more, and you start to realize, I think that might be a Picasso on the wall. Uh, and then lights come on a little bit more, and you realize, oh my goodness, this is a beautiful china cabinet, and, and so on and so on. And by the time the lights are, all, are, are, are on bright, you realize, oh my goodness, I didn't know it, but I am standing in this incredible furnished room. Now, here's the question. <clears throat> And this really bucks against our own individuality, right? Because we just pick up our Bibles and we think, oh, this is just me and my Bible and Jesus, right? Um, we have to get out of that mindset. What, 
when are these objects in the room objects in the room? Well, uh, it, it doesn't, the, these things don't just show up when you see them, <laughs> right? We, we know that. Uh, it's almost too basic to say, right? Of course, they've been there the whole time. They've been furnishing the room the whole time. But, but your sight, it has been unveiled, and slowly. It's a reminder to us, right? I mean, we, do, you, do you understand what a privilege it is to live in 2021? You have all of this, all of it. This, but, but remember, I mean, this is so easy, right? Because we, we like read Genesis, and then we just flip over and read Ephesians. But this didn't just drop down out of heaven. Hundreds, thousands and thousands of years, God in his wisdom decided he was going to reveal not only his plan of salvation, but even who he is apart from us. Sometimes slowly, sometimes with huge gaps in between, uh, between, say, a Moses and, and a David. All of that should tell us something, right? Well, who this triune God is, well, he is Trinity. This Trinity is Trinity whether or not he even creates the world, whether or not Father, Son, Spirit ever save anyone. So that's a bit of a check against our self-centeredness in which we think we are the center. Uh, because in reality, uh, well, is, is this God triune? Absolutely, from eternity. How then has this triune God revealed his triune identity? Well, that works itself out so that, yes, in the Old Testament, you start to see the lights come on. Uh, Dr. Fesco was sharing a passage from Isaiah. I think it was Isaiah 53. You start, goodness, the lights really start to, to get brighter at that point. Uh, the Psalms, Psalm 2, Psalm, Psalm 110. Why is, Jesus makes this point, right? What is, what is going on here? The Lord said to my Lord, there, are there two persons speaking here? What is happening? By the time you get to Jesus Christ, the canon of Scripture now just gives birth. Luther loved to call the Old Testament the swaddling cloths in which baby Jesus is brought to you. And by the time you get to Christ, it starts bursting. And Jesus is going to have so much to say about who he is, about who the Father is, about the Spirit which he's going to send to them. And at the same time, this is going to so offend them, he's going to say, this Trinity, well, this Trinity is Trinity before you even existed. I, I am one with this, this Father he claims to be the I am. So pre-incarnation, he is the I am. And the Jews understood what he meant. They want mm -hmm. to stone him for it. So he doesn't just show up in Bethlehem uh, apart from incarnation. That's what I was going to say, yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot who shared this originally with me, but it seemed to help thinking in terms of analogies. When you look at the underside of a Persian rug... Something's going on there. There's been a lot of work going on there. And sometimes I feel that way when I'm reading a particular book of the Old Testament, let's say in isolation. But when you see it the way it's designed to be seen, it's beautiful. It's complete. There's a pattern. There's ob obviously a designer and a maker. 
analogies mm -hmm. uh, for what they're worth. Okay, I promised an easy question. Maybe it's not so easy. We're going to divide the room here. Um, so I know that both on their last trips here, they weren't here at the same time, but I know that John had this experience, and I know that Matthew had this experience. Each of them tasted a Runza sandwich. <laughs> so, do you think you'll go back on the way to the airport today or not, John? That is the plan. Okay, okay. That, that, that tells us a lot about a person. So, good to know. Matthew? Okay. <laughs> Before you answer, there are people who've lived here for a decade, and they refuse to try one. So just so you know, whatever you... There, there are no right answers. I'm just answers. so afraid to answer this question, because uh, last night we got home, and I told you this. We turned on the TV, and there was like a minute, two minutes left, and... Oh, we're not talking about football. Nebraska no, 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 no. lost, and I just thought, What's these it? people tomorrow are going to be so upset. <laughs> Um, so, I it, it was a good it was a good sandwich. Uh, we Pat took me and um, it, it was warm and I I thought this is this is a glorified hot pocket. Oh, now he went. Now it was just getting worse. Now I I might be committing revisionist history here, but I like to see myself as kind and gracious. I think I bought a Runza sandwich for you and then a hamburger just in case. But that might just be in my memory. You did. Okay. You did. No, but I ate it. I ate the whole thing. Okay. So. <laughs> it's a weird world we live in. It's a, when my mom would come and visit us when we lived in Southern California, she'd bring like $100 worth of frozen runzas, and then we'd have a runza party. So anyway, I digress. I digress. No, uh, so much of the Bible is about food, so it's a very okay. theological question. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Okay, let's, I, I, and I'm not trying to create a fight here at all, because uh -oh. I think you'll have a similarity, but you may have some nuancing differences. I want to start with you, John. The difference in similarity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and the work of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So as he's thinking about that, the Holy Spirit is eternal, the Holy Spirit was working in the Old Covenant. The Holy Spirit is working in the New Covenant. I'm trying to get these guys to have a discussion as to what are the similarities. If you want to use the fancy word, what's the continuity level and what's the discontinuity level, the difference level. Mm -hmm. um, and so what, what are you thinking, John? Let's start with the continuities or the similarities. Uh, one of the most important things that you can understand about the similarities uh, is the fact that when Paul in Romans chapter 4 uh, draws upon a model New Testament believer, he points to Abraham, who goes all the way back to the Old Testament, uh, to Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 12. So this is some of the earliest real estate in Scripture. And so to that end, we would say that in terms of the similarity, there's one agent of regeneration and new life, uh, and the scriptures know of that one agent as the Holy Spirit. So Old Testament to New Testament, it's always and only the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes and gives us the gift of faith so that we can believe in and trust in and receive Jesus uh, as our Savior. So one Savior, and you see that in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, the great hall of faith. 
It doesn't talk about different kinds of faith or some other agent or people themselves kind of working on their own. It's always the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that would be the similarity. And John chapter 3 is actually Old Covenant, right? Even though it's in the New Testament. Yeah. And Jesus expects them to understand that he regenerates. Yes. He must be born again. Yeah. As far as the discontinuities or the dissimilarities, I think we can put it in a couple of different categories. One, I would say in terms of geography, so we could start with geography, is that the, the, the presence of the Spirit is located very specially in the tabernacle, for example, or in the temple, where you see the cloud descending, and it's pretty much just there. Fast forward to Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, and he said, you know, it's, now it's not going to be located in this one place, but it's in spirit and in truth. So wherever uh, the spirit is, because there's going to be this global outpouring of the spirit that issues forth from the outpouring of the spirit through Christ. And so where you see the picture of this, and you see this in 1 Peter 3 compared with Genesis 6, is that Peter in 1 Peter 3 likens the flood unto the outpouring of the spirit and that, yeah, the Lord's not going to destroy the earth with water again, but there's this growing flood of the spirit that is rising in the creation. So that's one of the discontinuities. Second discontinuity we could attach to persons in that in the Old Testament, especially say in the book of Judges, you see these examples of the spirit rushing upon somebody to equip them for a work. Whereas, uh, you know, so whether it's Saul, the spirit rushed upon him and he prophesied or Samson being just rushed upon with the spirit and, and strengthened to be able to, to knock down the pillars and, and to destroy the Philistines. Whereas by Joel chapter two, verse 28, the Old Testament prophets are looking forward to a time where there is, dare I say, a democratization of the spirit not in the sense that we all get to vote for the Spirit, but rather that it's universally, the Spirit is universally dispensed. And so that now it's no longer that the Spirit rushes upon certain select individuals, but because we are in Christ and Christ has received the outpouring of the Spirit, Christ then pivots and pours out the Spirit upon the church so that we all have the outpouring of the Spirit. So what the Old Testament saints only knew in terms of in, you know, just punctual moments where they were equipped for certain gifts or offices or events, now we have the abiding presence of the Spirit and that we have, as, as Matthew pointed out yesterday from Ephesians 1, the sealing of the Spirit. So that's, that's kind of the ways I would kind of very broadly line up the continuities and the discontinuities in the okay. Old and New Testament. Matthew? Yeah, I don't know that I, I have much to add. I, I, I agree. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, it, yeah, I think, I think you've said it so well. Um, I have always found it uh, re- just remarkable, the imagery that the New Testament, and, and you just picked up on some of this, the imagery that the New Testament uses, um, when Jesus says, in comparison with John the Baptist's ministry, uh, when they point to Jesus and say, he's going to baptize with fire, and then you get to Pentecost, and there's tongues of fire, I don't think that this is just random, 
I, I think that this is, this is communicating uh, to those there. I mean, if they're thinking in terms of their Old Testament, right, it's communicating to them in the Old Testament when God led the people of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. He guided them in different ways. Well, one of them was this way, through this, this pillar of fire. Um, when we get to the New Testament, not only, as, as Dr. Fesca was just saying, not only is now the Spirit poured out so globally, <clears throat> but what is so remarkable is the New Testament authors can say something so bold like, you... If you, are, if you are in Christ, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. I, I think that if you are a first century Jewish man or woman and you are hearing that, that, that might sound impossible. Well, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? How, how could that be? I mean, given everything Dr. Fesco just said, how... We, we, we know from, from reading the prophets and, and looking at Samuel or Saul, or we, we know how this works. And now you're actually saying that if I'm in Christ, that I'm, I'm a temple. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's accidental, right? When you go to open the gospels and Jesus says, go ahead, tear down that temple. He's essentially saying, I am the temple. I am the temple now. So all that to say, I, I think the way that, yeah, Dr. Fesco has outlined here the, <clears throat> the continuity and then some of that discontinuity, I think it's so helpful to, to then what it means then to, to be in Christ uh, on, this side of, in, on this side of the cross and Pentecost. So if Jesus says he's the temple, John, and yet we're the temple, how does that work? Temple's where you meet with God? Yeah, and like, you know, as I said as we're in union with Christ through the indwelling power and presence of the Spirit as, and as, as the bridge, we would say, is faith, uh, that that's how we share in, in the Spirit and that's how we participate in the temple. The, the imagery that, uh, that, um, that Paul uses in Ephesians or that uh, Peter uses in First Peter chapter 1 is that we are blocks within the temple and that Christ is the cornerstone uh, of that temple and so that, you know, that's the imagery that we see that we're all together. And so uh, that's why there's, a, I don't remember the precise question, and somebody could probably whiz bang it on the internet, but uh, it's the idea that we share in the priestly anointing of Christ through our union with Christ, and that's how we also share, and ha- we are ourselves priests in Christ, all of us. Okay, good. So we're going to run out of time pretty quick. So Matthew, this one's got to be fast. And I know you don't like fast when it comes to these things, but I'm trying to hold you to it. I have a confession here, a Protestant confession. Um, It is a Baptist confession, but I've heard John Fesco read from a Baptist confession before and actually agree with what it says. So uh, this is the 1689 confession. And in that confession, it describes God in numerous ways, different ways. But one thing it says about God, Matthew, is that he does not have passions, okay? It says, without body, parts, or passions, and I know you've written about this. Numerous people in this room have read what you've written and found it helpful, but really trying to keep it as simple as you can, simply Trinity. Uh, (laughs) Let's try to keep it simple. What does it mean for God to not have passions? We're going to have to cancel John's sermon. We're going to need it the next hour. (laughs) 
we don't have an hour, so <laughs> Keith, you're going to cut his mic <laughs> in about 60 seconds, starting now. I do like those Hot Pockets. <laughs> um. Okay, just cut it right now. <laughs> uh, let, since, for the sake of time, let me just say to you, there is a fantastic article um, by Thomas Wynandy on the uh, online magazine called First Things, and it's called Does God Suffer? Question mark. He wrote a book about it, but here he gives you a short article. It's so helpful. So if what I'm about to say doesn't make sense, uh, take some time. I do not think you'll regret uh, spending half an hour to an hour with that article. Uh, that said, when we say God is, when the confessions say God is without passions, right, um, they are essentially, this is another way, a more specific way of saying God does not change. When you think of James, right, the book of James. He is without variation. He is without shadow. Uh, he does not change. And that includes, that includes this area uh, of what they are calling passions, that he doesn't have passions. Uh, again, this comes back to that creator-creature distinction. He is not, we, we are made in his image. He is not made in our image, uh, which means that he is not experiencing, like we do, some type of emotional uh, fluctuation. Um, we might go from being loving one moment to hateful the next. That is not the case with God. Um, one other thing I'll just add to that is this is so important because it also means that when we talk about God and all that is in God, he does not suffer in his divinity. Um, this is not a God like us who is vulnerable to being affected by the created order and therefore changed in some way. That is an enormous comfort. I know, innocently enough, we, we sometimes can, can make this mistake of saying to someone, maybe it's in a small group study, hey, I know you're going through a hard time, don't worry God was just surprised by that as you are, or God's suffering just as much as you are right now. But, but actually, that's really not in step with, with the Scriptures. And if you think about it, it's not ultimately comforting. Because if he is just as vulnerable to suffering as we are, how in the world is he going to overcome evil and suffering in this world one day? You're not saying, or maybe you are, I don't think you're saying that the, the incarnate son didn't suffer. So when we talk about the incarnation, right, now we are actually talking about the son of God who is one person, right? We, it's not like all of a sudden there's two persons now. He's one single person. But... But he has a divine nature and a human nature. This was called the hypostatic union. So that when we then talk about suffering in the incarnation, we have to keep that in mind. Um, we, we need to be really careful at this point. Um, you may remember yesterday I, I used that word projection as a, as a really bad word. We don't want to look at, say, anything and everything that's happening in the incarnation by virtue of the incarnation, by virtue of his humanity, and just project that retroactively, I suppose, on 
the whole trinity and divinity itself. So keeping those careful distinctions in mind when we talk about Christ and the incarnation, yes, he's true God, but he's also true man. That can keep us from confusing or meshing or mixing the divine nature and the human nature in a way that would compromise the integrity of either one. And if we're, if we're speaking about God, divine nature, and he has passions, that means he changes. And that means sometimes he's better than he is at other times, which wouldn't be good. No. <laughs> okay. Right? Am I understanding it correctly? Yes. And I know um, that word passion sometimes throws people off because you think, well, oh, then God, um, he must be this like indifferent, apathetic divine being, uh, that actually is not what we mean. Uh, When we talk about this, we are saying God, when we say God does not change, well, what's behind that? We are saying God is so maximally alive. He is so eternally perfect. There is no becoming in God. If there was, think about that. What, does he become better? Does he become worse? Does he become something more? Was he something less? Rather, we're saying he is so alive. He is so perfect. He is pure act. Remember that, that phrase? Well, if that's the case then, then of course when we talk about who this God is, we say he is without change. He is without passions, etc. Great. Well, I still have more questions, so I guess we'll have to do this again sometime, but we've run out of time because we have a 1030 service. So let's thank these gentlemen for giving us some interesting things to think about. Thanks again for listening to this special edition 40th Ruby Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever date is where you're listening episode of The Pactum. We trust you've been encouraged as always. And we do want to remind you that you can be sending us your questions for upcoming Pactum Responsum episodes. You can email us at connect at thepactum.org. You can also find us on Twitter at The Pactum and the Insta at The Pactum Theology. We're so thankful for you, our listeners. And with that, we'll see you next time on... The Pactum. <laughs> <laughs>